I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness and your longevity. Today, I welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Jeremiah Bishop. Jeremiah is a 47-year-old professional mountain biker from the US. He's participating in the pretty exclusive Lifetime Grand Prix series. I absolutely love chatting with Jeremiah. His perspective on racing and aging is so unique. Every time we chat, he inspires me to not take my foot off the gas, to not let up and to keep chasing that next adventure and that next dream. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today. So for people who haven't checked out the impossible route, it's two idiots pushing the boundaries of common sense on bicycles <laughs> and you know, I think it's it's really neat because it's a bit of storytelling too. It's the intervals, you know, and anything you can do in order to keep those intervals into your schedule, do it because like that's what gets you that that key fitness, that, that high level fitness. A lot of the other high level competitors, they don't really quite get it. If I whip a camera out, I'm in kind of like that zone where I still can sometimes make the front group and. Then I pull the camera out and start talking to it. And people are like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Jeremiah Bishop, welcome back to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Anthony. Super stoked to be back on. Excited to see what you've been up to. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of really wild things. It's been a, a very busy spring. Late winter was obviously very busy taking a break uh just this last week and a half and now getting back into the second half of the season uh so the cadence of these seasons seems to like change every year but um yeah we, we recorded our first winter impossible route episode so for people who haven't checked out the impossible route it's two idiots pushing the boundaries of common sense <laughs> on bicycles and you know, I think it's it's really neat because it's a bit of storytelling too. You know, there's like uh, a lot of other riders that are that are doing incredible uh, expedition riding. Uh, Sofian Sahili, uh, riders like that, but he's just now getting into doing YouTube and doing some like storytelling with it. This is really about telling the story of a lot of stuff that we've done in the past and other people have done, and it's really just some. Um, I don't know. We just like to have fun. It's not all about just killing ourselves. And you guys are kicking the budget up a lot as well. Like, like what was the one? Was it not the most recent one on the fat bikes? The one before that where you got dropped into, I think it was called the Dark Divide or something. You got dropped in in a helicopter and you had like 36 hours Mission Impossible style to get back to the extraction point. It's like a little mini movie. Like, it's pretty kick-ass. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. You know, that was a very different style episode. And, and I think that's the the key is you know we're not we're not completely hemmed in by a studio we're independently owned yes Canyon sponsors and underwrites it Orange Seal a big sponsor I don't know if you can see this banner behind us but uh, has several of the the bigger sponsors for Impossible Routes Orange Seal IRC we've just picked up a new eyewear sponsor Tofosi. And of course, we've got Flow Formulas, Strava, almost there. Um, so a bunch of, of smaller sponsors um, supporting us as well. But um, and, and we're hosted on Outside TV, but we're not 
owned by an outside entity. So they don't tell us what to do. And I think that's really kind of key for what we're um, able to write into the episodes. You know, if we want to have a uh, completely different multi-sport episode, we can do that. Yes, we need to come up with the money to do it. Where'd you get the helicopter? Uh, we rent Oregon helicopters. Apparently that area, <laughs> the volcano is like a very high tourist area for helicopter tours, like Hawaii. Um, and there's also a lot of logging that takes place there. So they have to drop off equipment, telecommunications, towers, things like that. So areas that are remote, like Alaska, uh, areas um, like the Pacific Northwest that are wide and have a lot of like, uh, you know, those industries, believe it or not. Yeah, pretty much most places will have places you can call up to to rent a helicopter. They do a lot of tourist rides around Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier. Those not familiar, these mountains are massive, very remote. Mount Rainier, the prominence of Mount Rainier is otherworldly. Like the Colorado Rockies are big, but they start very high. You know, you're at 2,000 meters at the base, 6,200 feet at the base. So they go up, but, you know. But then the the Mount Rainier goes from like sea level to 14,400 feet. So it's like a monster, monster mountain. Really, really neat to to see that in the distance. And uh, we, we rode just on the flanks of Mount St. Helens, a volcano that erupted with the magnitude of like a thousand atomic bombs. And I guess it was about 40 years ago in the 1980s. So what's the criteria for these challenges? Like, how do you choose what the next challenge is? Because I know when we chatted last time, you gave me a really amazing piece of advice. You probably don't even remember it. But I was talking about how I was a little bit fatigued from going back to road races that I've ridden like 10 times in the past. Now in a different chapter in my life, you know, races that I've maybe previously won in the past, going back to them and you're kind of pack fail. And it's like, how do you still keep the love of a sport when you're going back year after year and then sometimes decade after decade. And you gave me a really simple little statement and I just wrote it down. I've had it on the cover of my diary since. It's like, do new stuff because you won't have that comparison then. And it's really simple, this idea. Just do new stuff. Come up with cool new adventures. Come up with cool new escapes, new twists on old ideas. How do you guys keep doing that with the impossible route? How do you keep reimagining the next challenge? That's not easy. That's not easy. But I'm touched, Anthony. They, that something I said is on the cover of your diary. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's it's really not that hard. Uh, you look at a map. I had uh, a random person that I met out in California. A random guy I met in California. Where'd you get that map? It's like something of an antique shop. I've never seen a physical one. I thought they only come on phones now. Well, he sent it. Well, I mean, he's got digital maps, of course. He's got Rye with GPS. He's got Strava, Gaia GPS. But he sent it because he got this a long time ago when he when he did a, a big trekking trip in Patagonia. And so, I mean, he sent me this crazy map of South America, he wrote a bunch of stuff on it, you know, some potential routes. And it got me thinking of the... the I don't know, the, the old days of travel where you where you really didn't know where you were going. You know, you had these really it was more imagination filled, you know? Now you can like go to, to Google Street View and drop a pin. You can look at Instagram, search a word, you can find so much about a place on YouTube before you go that it almost takes some of the mystery out of it. Unless you go to some place like Africa or South America. 
or, you know, you, you get a bit outside of the box. And I think that when we look at the impossible routes, the sky's the limit, really. It's as far as routes, uh, it just takes a good story. It just takes a good story. And that's a big part of that's my job is to search potential ideas, sort of vet them out. I write them all down and, you know, I put together these concept briefs and look at them from a step back and I say, which one's going to make a good story? You know, which one actually has like a, a challenge or is gamified in a certain way? Uh, and an episode that I got pretty excited about. So to give you an idea, it's it's like baking a brownie that takes a year to make, to make an impossible route, <laughs> or maybe even longer, a year and a half to make. And so the France episode that we shot last summer, I had been working on that one for probably about a year. This, this episode, I thought of the idea two years ago, maybe three years ago. But our idea for our, our newest episode in August is to traverse the Andes, uh, starting with the Death Road. So it was a very famous road in Bolivia called the Death Road. In and of itself, you know, I thought it was kind of clickbaity. I thought it was kind of, uh, I don't know, a low punch to, to ride the Death Road. I'm like, everybody knows about the Death Road. A lot of people have ridden it already. It doesn't meet the criteria of something that no one's ever done before, might not be possible, and tells a good story. You know, those are the three criteria for an impossible route. But I kept coming back to it because it's it's literally listed on the Hill Climb website, PJM Cycling, as the most epic road climb in the world. And I'm like, they're comparing this, you know, against the 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 Stelvio and the Glivier and Paso de Jama and all these other like mind-blowing climbs. And they say this one's the most epic. So I'm like, all right, how can we work it into an episode? And I got looking at the map, got building some routes, and there's actually a slight or small descent, maybe goes five miles down at the end of the death road. The death road already is a monster. Starts at 4,000 feet, climbs to 15,500. But I saw this abandoned ski resort just past the death road that climbs to 17,400 feet. I mean, that is like, I don't know, almost 6,000 meters, 5,500 meters. Anyway, absolutely bonkers. Um, there's a road up there. And uh, so we want to do the death road plus try to climb up to this abandoned ski resort. And I'm like, Hey, we're already in, in South America. Let's see if we can ride across the Andes, the longest mountain range on the planet. And so we'll have uh, several episodes. We're going to have the death road, which will be sort of episode one of this sort of trans Andes sort of series. And then number two would be the Altiplano, the high plains of Lake Titicaca, the volcanoes, the canyons. And then uh, the third stage would be into Arequipa. You might work into Cola Canyon, work into the route Cola Canyon, which is the second deepest canyon in the world, if we can sort of budget enough time. Uh, and that would be a pretty big mission. How big is the team for something like that? Uh, the shoot team, we would have... It's so a problem, it's sort of... The problem and also a benefit is that if you have a smaller team, you can move quickly. You can also move under the radar when you're filming in sensitive areas and it costs less. So our challenge of not having a huge budget also is actually a benefit and small teams move fast. So from a logistics standpoint, if you have to get, say, a Netflix studio from one place to another, accommodate them, get enough vehicles. 
it's it's got to be an absolute train wreck of, of trying to move 30 people. We only have a crew of two, maybe three riders, and then two, maybe three videographers, if you count our driver. So we will often get away with two vehicles, and even better if it's just one vehicle. Uh, this one's a challenge because it's a point-to-point. We'll have to get back to the start area. So what we might do is talk to a local tour guide. The other challenge that I was reading about you know, regulations crossing the border, you have to be able to cross the border, rental cars in uh, most countries in South America. It's a big challenge. You know, They don't want to get cars stolen. Uh, so crossing the border is a big problem. Looking forward to <laughs> figuring out that, that problem. <laughs> I'm right into the meat of the season at the moment. I finished the Ross That's in my rear view mirror now. And I was moving super well. I was very competitive despite my protracted absence from that level of racing. Now, I don't want to fall into the trap that I see many riders falling into. Just riding around with no focus or aim and meeting up with friends and having coffee simply because the good weather has arrived. I'm continuing to use my Watt bike almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way through to my target events. I can't wait for the Rift and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be continuing my partnership with Watt Bike. The Watt Bike, Adam, it's in my recording studio right beside the new desk. And if I have an hour between interviews, I jump on. It removes all the friction points. I've no more 10 minutes set up, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff, no more connection issues. It just works every single time. Adam's perfect for Zwift racing too. I have the big TV set up here and I love those crisp gear changes. It has 1% power accuracy and a max gradient capability of 25%, even if my legs don't have a 25% max gradient capability. Even when I'm over there riding those steepest climbs on Watopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding the custom gearing setup. If you get a Watt bike, definitely play around with that. It's so suitable for those really hilly Watopia stages. If you're looking for an indoor bike trainer, I couldn't recommend this any higher. It's the very last indoor bike trainer that you're ever going to need. Absolutely phenomenal. If you head on over to whatbike.com and you use the code ROADMAN10 at checkout, you're now going to get 10% off the Whatbike Atom. So that's ROADMAN10 at checkout and you're going to get 10% off the Whatbike Atom. All the details for that offer are in today's show notes. There's some epic, you know, quote unquote races out there or events, but is it they're not fitting into a criteria? Like I'm looking at the Tour Divide, which is just finished for most people at the moment. I'm sure there's still some brave souls out there going through the Tour Divide. But I followed Alex Howes across the Tour Divide and like it's beyond epic. It definitely seems like something that there's a chance you won't finish it, you know. There's the physical element, but also there's just the mental element and the mishaps element. So I don't know if it's a 50 50 chance you won't finish it, but there's a fair chance that somebody even well trained wouldn't finish that. It seems epic, but is it because it's a curated or manicured or organized event that it wouldn't meet the criteria? Or would you consider stuff like Tour Divide, Badlands, et cetera? Before I wouldn't have considered them, but now that. I've, I've, I'm cool with it as long as there's a good story that comes from it, you know? And I think if it's, so honestly, the, the Tour de Gravel, the episode that we did last summer with, with the Tour de France, the old Tour de France at the backdrop, 
really didn't meet the criteria because, I mean, of course, it's a race. Someone had done it. It's been 100 years. But those roads, the, that route, uh, even with our sort of amped up configuration, was probably possible. So that was kind of stretching the rule a little bit. And, and yeah, I mean, the thing evolves. So I have no problem with it if it's something like Tour Divide or Silk Road or something really ridiculous. The big challenge is, of course, if we do a race and you're trying to film it, the filming actually, in a lot of cases, makes it more difficult to perform in a race. So when, we're, when I'm trying to film in the few races that I film, it's really, really hard. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. To take your camera out while you're going full stick and you're cross-eyed and you should be drinking and should be eating, but instead you're managing your GoPro batteries. And there's also like a, there's a little argument that maybe does it take it away from it a little bit? Like I'm off doing Badlands at the start of September and, you know, it's something cool to document and share with an audience, but it's also an experience that's maybe diluted a little bit by the process of taking cameras out. Like you're not as present in the moment if you're also documenting. Oh, yeah. I struggle with that because a lot of what we do, we go to these amazing places and then I'm like enjoying the Vista. And then I hear Tyler talking to his camera in the background. (laughs) So, I mean, but that's the game, right? That's, that's what we're paid to do. That's our job. So, you know, the way I do it is, you know, this is sort of like me speaking, you know, buddy to buddy here, not podcast to public, but you know, I kind of compartmentalize my rides. Like I have rides where I'm like, I'm not going to post anything today. Uh, this is for me. This I am yeah. going out. I'm going to go find some solitude. And if I want to like stop and smell some flowers, if I want to go and, you know, tune out and jump on a porch swing or, or a tree swing. And, <laughs> you know, those are like rides for me. You know, those are like rides that I'm not putting it on Instagram at all. And I'll put something that I recorded last week up later when I feel like it. And so like, yes, it does. It does take away from like the Zen of the moment and like the, the uh, meditativeness of, of doing some of these big, amazing adventures, but you can go and do those, you know, types of things some other time. I think it's really awesome to be able to record it and be able to share it with people I had so many amazing opportunities during my career and nobody got to see these awesome things like La Ruta de los Conquistadores, like uh, Cape Epic. I did a few video recordings during Cape Epic, but nobody understands how difficult that race is. It is an absolute monster. It's really, really tough. And when you're racing now in the Lifetime Grand Prix and you're showing up to, you know, an unbound, are you still struggling with that? Is it these two different personas inside you pulling where you have Jeremiah Bishop, the competitor versus Jeremiah Bishop, the content creator and knowing which hat you're wearing on that day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I'm in a transition in my career where I was paid to race and perform at a very high level. And that programs you, that programs you to be off your feet to be, be focused, cut out distraction. And then being a content creator is the complete opposite. You're on your feet as much as possible because you're, you're working, hustling, you're going to appearances, you're getting like, you know, your, your camera equipment dialed, you're taking B-roll photos, you're stopping in the middle of the race to, you know, get 
a, a new SD card in to your camera. I mean, it's like uh, the counter is, is they're opposite. Also, I think it's really like a lot of the other high level competitors, they don't really quite get it. If I whip a camera out, I'm in kind of like that zone where I still can sometimes make the front group. And then I pull the camera out and start talking to it. And people are like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> You know, <laughs> they're wearing uh, aero socks and you're like doing a vlog. Yeah. And I'm carrying this uh, two pound GoPro. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's fun. Um, still trying to figure out that, that transition, I guess it's the reality is I race a race because I love it. And it's sort of a smaller part of my job, but it's sort of the backdrop for what I'm producing as content and, you know, being out there at the races, as a brand ambassador for Canyon and my other sponsors is, is really important. And it's a different type of brand opportunity for them. And it's something that continues to build my brand as an athlete. Our sponsor today is Caldera Lab. As road men, we're out in all sorts of weather. And I have to say, I've really started to notice the effects of that exposure. I'm just spending too much time in the elements and the sun, the wind and the rain, and it's taken an effect. More fine lines, wrinkles, and visible signs of aging. When I look into the mirror some days, it's like my dad's face is looking back at me. Over the past six months or so, I've been looking to optimize all aspects of my health, and I've really focused on finding a solution to this exposure. I'm obviously not going to stop riding my bike. The culmination of my research is being Caldera Lab. I started using this product as a customer because of the depth of clinical trial data showing that this stuff really works. And I have to say, I chased them super hard to get these guys on board as a show sponsor. So how it works is they have three products and you use them in the morning and then again in the evening. The first one is the Clean Slate, which is a balancing cleanser that uses gentle plant-based cleansing, leaving your skin feeling exceptionally refreshed. The second one is the base layer, and this is a nutrient-dense moisturizer which hydrates your skin. And the third one is called the Good, and this is a serum which helps your skin to look younger, tighter, and smoother. The combination of these three makes up your morning and evening routines. We have an exclusive offer for our audience so you can try this for yourself and you don't have to take my word for it. You can get 20% off with our code, which is simply ROADMAN. Head on over to calderalab.com forward slash roadman and use that discount code to unlock your youthful glow and be ready for the summer. I'm going to leave that discount code and link to Caldera in today's show notes. You've stayed in phenomenal shape. Like, what are you now, 47? 47. 47 years old. And you've stayed in, as you say, you're still close enough to making that front group. And, you know, if I was a betting man, I would say if you're close enough to making the front group with all the content creation distractions, if you peeled all those away at 47, you're still good enough to be in the front group. So for anyone listening, and even myself, you know, I'm, you know, less than a decade younger than you. And I'm coming into that point as well, where I'm starting to focus less on my career as a competitor and more on what's the next chapter. What are the habits that have served you well in staying in shape? beyond 40 consistency (laughs) you can't let what your body tells you get in the way and i think like you get some periods in which you like wake up and your ankles tired your old injuries are talking to you your legs are sore and you've got work on the calendar you know you've got training still there and it is really easy to say you know i'm getting old so maybe i'm like 
getting tired. Maybe I'm getting worn down. And, and you have to be able to like differentiate, you know, a true signal from just sort of like your, your body's just complaining. Cause <laughs> like, I mean, to be honest, yeah. if I train like I did when I was 25, I, I will be very fast and I've got the results to prove it. You know, in the last year, the last couple of years, I've won probably about 20 races uh, total which is mind boggling. And I'm not talking about in the master's field. I'm talking about like monster cross in the elite field. It's a regional race with six or 700 people, but it's not a, you know, national caliber race. It's hard to win any bike race. I say this to people all the time. Like even if you go to the local club league and there's 50 guys there, it's hard to win a bike race. You got to do a lot of stuff right to win a bike race at any level. Yes, yes. I got close to winning Monster Cross again this spring and I got within a mile and flatted. You know, I was like in the lead, 10 second lead. Uh, yeah, it takes a lot of things to, to go right. And it's a, a very nuanced thing. And, and fortunately for me, I've got a lot of experience. So like if the fitness is there, I'll probably win <laughs> if it's like if it's like uh, coming down to to the wire. Um, I'm missing that right now. I'd say I've been I've been ten times. I'd say in the top ten, probably in the last twelve races. I'm just missing that little killer. I'm rolling seconds and thirds and fourths, and it's like oh, this is so frustrating. Ah, yeah, it's, it's a chess game, you know. And I think the more you really understand that, and and you know this obviously, road racing is it's really um, very tactical and a lot of nuance and a lot of like timing and a lot of patience. And sometimes it's, you know, it's the person that makes the right move, not the, the strongest move. And then no one chases. And you're like, what? You guys chase everything. And now you're going to let this guy go. <laughs> you know, so it's road racing is a little, a, a little challenging. The gravel racing is getting very, very competitive over here. And, you know, I'd hope that like, I would get a crack at some of these uh, gravel races, being able to put a good performance down. And yeah, I mean, I've been, I was eighth at Unbound a couple years ago, which was really good, but I had early flat. And, you know, I went from thinking I could win the race or be top three in the race to struggling to get into the top 10. But hey, you know, in retrospect, it was a really damn good race uh, to chase all day solo and still finish eighth. So, you know, can't look a gift horse in the mouth. And, you know, really like when I look at a lot of my peers, a lot of them can't race, you know, at a, at a high level. So I'm very fortunate. And staying in the gym also has been really key. How often are you in the gym? Yeah, just once to twice a week. Believe it or not, you know, that maintenance is probably more important than the winter build in the gym. So for me now, it's really just keeping bone density, keeping muscle strength, and then, you know, keeping muscle function working optimally is of huge benefit. And, and so like I'll do I'll, before a big race, I'll actually go to the gym. Uh, I'll lift weights in the two days before just to get full activation and really just alert the muscles that they're going to need to perform at a high level. I have heard from athletes that it gets more difficult to take breaks post 45. You know, when you're 26, mm -hmm. you can take six months out, 12 months out, go traveling. I kind of come back when you're 27 without that much of a transition period coming back. But I have friends now who are like 46 and they take a year out in their mid 47. And it's like, whoa, the task switch isn't as easy anymore. No way. It's You're absolutely right. I think that is a product of a couple things, but you, if you take a look at aging is, is your 
yeah, your cells aren't reproducing as quickly. Your recovery time is increasing. You can still do some pretty amazing stuff, but my amazing rides are starting to get farther apart. Is that is the best way to put it? <laughs> but I still am able to do some pretty high level riding. And I think it's just like, you got to just listen to your body and realize, hey, you can't go to the gym three times a week. It's not going to happen and still perform on the bike. And, and conversely, you can't do intervals as frequently or as many back-to-back days. And so I, I'm, just, I'm all right with that. As long as I can still go out and, and thrash and still go and rip at a few races here and there, then uh, I'm, I'm good with it. And it's just, it's just sort of about uh, finding what works. And for me, sleep is a very important aspect of that. I think it is really uh, the most neglected performance benefit that you can give yourself. You look at all these super expensive gains and supplements and altitude tents. And, you know, you look at like how much one of my clients sleeps, you know, you look at the sleep tracker, it says four and a half hours. I'm like, you know, there's your like golden egg for performance. Well, you see so many people majoring in minor things. Like, you know, people are spending a lot of time analyzing the model of compression boots they should get, (laughs) but then their diet is shit. And it's like, you're sleeping four hours a night. You know, your stress levels through the roof, your alcohol consumption on the weekends. It's like, (laughs) there's really low hanging fruit for most athletes who are non-pro. You don't need to be looking at okay, this ketone, should I take this an hour into the ride? It's like, yeah, maybe just don't have the second bottle of wine on a Friday. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, look, I I love some good beer. You know, Um, I I drink a a wide variety of wine, but I know when to like say, look, you know, that's now's not the time. And I I think it's, um, yeah, like you said, it's usually very very easy to look at ways you can improve your performance and and find some very simple ones. Uh, and I think that, like you said, it's not about marginal gains. It's about going and smashing the, the quality workouts of the week. And for me, it's typically two during the season, two workouts a week and in the preseason, three workouts a week that really are like it. The rest are just kind of like warm up, cool down openers easy spin, you know, and it's, it's not really like moving the needle or a social ride with your buddies. You're not, not really gaining a whole lot from doing the, the zone two social ride. It's the intervals, you know, and anything you can do in order to keep those intervals into your schedule, do it. Cause like, that's what gets you that, that key fitness, that high level fitness. I'm coming over to ride Leadville uh, later oh, this cool. summer. And I haven't, I'm not a mountain biker. I, I'm not from a mountain bike background. One of the show sponsor stages uh, is bringing me over. So shout out to stages for that. So I off the back of a road season at the moment, like we're, what did I race four times on the road last week, five times the week before. So it's been a heavy enough roadblock. So I'm transitioning now from road over to off-road to over to, by the time this comes out, I may even have finished rifts over in Iceland and then a couple of other local gravel races and then into Leadville. What's the kind of off-road protocol you would suggest now for someone like me who, you know, I've got some skills, they're not too bad, but I'm not a mountain biker. You know, it's a loaded question, Anthony. I do have a Leadville training plan on Training Peaks that's been very successful. <laughs> should have contacted me earlier 
Yeah, I, I'd say for Leadville, the big <laughs> thing is just to be very comfortable on your mountain bike. The number one thing you could do, Anthony, is outside of your events or road races between now and Leadville is to ride that bike every day. Sounds a little annoying. Sometimes I put a pair of like cyclocross tires or, or gravel tires on the mountain bike or slicks even to do road rides. But being really familiar, being able to to reach down and sort of grab the tops and get arrow and putting time in biomechanically really makes a huge difference. Obviously, having time at altitude makes a massive difference. I did do a YouTube of Leadville last year. It wasn't the YouTube I wanted to make. It was the, you know, I wanted to see if I could get away with going and not acclimating and still being in the top 10. The answer to that question was a resounding no effing way. I got completely destroyed. I had a massive headache. I uh, felt like I got punched in the head, you know, by by cage fighter. Like it was bad. But I finished and I learned my lesson. Not to mention, I'm really excited about going to Bolivia and that's super high up. So I'm going to go to Leadville uh, or Colorado anyway, about 10 days early. I'm also going to do a small trip to sort of moderate altitude of 6,000 feet. Uh, in the next couple weeks just to take the edge off. So if you do have any chance to get to altitude in the month prior, huge, huge benefit. Why is that? Because hematological benefits take somewhere between 16 to 20 days, according to popular science and um, several of the studies that I've read recently. It makes a lot of sense. And then if you look at like sort of the acute adaptations, the acute adaptations to altitude or the short-term adaptations to altitude start at about 48 hours, you know, you actually get a performance detriment between 24 to 36 hours because your heart rate's revved through the roof, your sleep is gone to crap, your pH levels in your body are changing as your respiration rate catches up. There's all kinds of uh, really wild science behind it, but your body's kind of this in this state of flux. Uh, so the saying goes, you either go up last minute. So if you're competing at 2,000 meters, 6,500 feet, no big deal. You know, if you go up the night before and then compete, you usually can dodge the the worst effects of that sort of um, altitude shock. For events at 3,000 meters, I mean, you're talking like 10,000 to 12,000 feet at Leadville. Yeah, you're playing with fire by going up last minute. And the best bet is to go five days to 14 days ahead of time so makes makes a big difference are you going to be there this year yep i'll be there so i'll be at leadville and then i am Boom. toying around with racing the the breck epic again maybe i'll do the three day and that'll give me a couple of days to recover and then do one of the shorter races at sbt i don't know so there's two big races leadville 100 and sbt gravel and they're only about 150 miles apart and they're they're sort of one weekend to the other so you need to go to both. And I don't know anybody that's done um, all three. So that'd be like, that'd be kind of like cool. Leadville, what we, what we call that? It's not the lead boat. It's a lead breck boat. Lead, lead <laughs> breck. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to come up with a dumb name for it. We'll, we'll, fig- we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you very much for joining us again. And looking forward to catching you for a beer and a ride over at Leadville. Yeah, it'll be a blast. Thanks for having me on, Anthony. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.